welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, the guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. And we're back! What is up, everyone? Welcome to Season 3 of the Good Bottle Podcast. Drew, homie, how you been, man? How's the new year? How's 2021? Is it already better than 2020, or does it just feel like exactly the same fucking hamster wheel? You know, there was a little bit of hamster wheel at the very beginning. I think I definitely was in a little bit of a funk, which for sure contributed to me wanting to be like, hey, let's take a break. Like, let's not do the podcast for a little bit so I can kind of get my shit together. And then... I was still in the funk, still in the funk, and then I busted out my old football cards, and my life has changed. I am totally back in. It reinvigorated me in the weirdest way possible, but I'm super excited about life. Sometimes, like, rediscovering those old passions can kind of, like, get you to a good place, and it's totally done that for me. So 2021 is off to a much better start and is going pretty well right now, which is work, life, friends, all the fun stuff. How about how about you? What's going on? Oh man, I feel very hamster wheely lately. But uh, I I somehow I don't know what it is about turning the corner from uh, 2020 to 2021 that there feels like there's like we rounded a corner and I can't quite see the end of the tunnel, but I know that there's like a shimmering light there somewhere where uh, uh, this little bit of like positivity and optimism awaits, uh, and I'm holding on to that for dear life. Yeah, like there's no longer a date in mind of like, oh, it's going to be better here, which I think made it worse when those things didn't come to fruition last year. Now it's just kind of like a whatever happens, happens, and we're going to get to that point. And so it, it, I think it's it's softening the blow a little bit to, you know, because it's like it's still not great right now for most of our industry, but it just it does seem like we're, we're heading the right direction. Yeah, and I'm down with that. But uh, uh, enough with, you know, you and me. What uh, what are we covering today there, Drew? You know, there's, there's been six weeks of amazing stories that we could have covered. And there was numerous times where I was like, I wish we were talking right now so we could talk about this. And the year being what it is, it's, it's kept up with that. So just in the last week, we've had some really incredible stuff. We had a major distributor buy a very small one in California that just happened over the last couple of days. And then we had a huge spirits distiller by, um, by a company as well, which was big, big news. And we brought in a guest and we're going to be doing this all year where we're going to have really special guests coming in, offering their expertise. This person is one of the foremost experts when it comes to old school wild Turkey whiskey. So if you have any questions for him, this is the guy to go to. <laughs> He is the executive director of sales for J.J. Fister. J.J. Fister is this rad distillery in the Sacramento area. If you haven't been, check it out. If you haven't had their stuff, drink it. It is super good. Our guest tonight is John Lilly. John, thank you so much for coming on the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what are you sipping on right now? Thank you for having me. Uh, It's exciting. I I have to say, this is my first podcast. Um, I listen to podcasts. This is my first podcast. this is my first participation. Uh, and to answer your question, what am I drinking today? Oddly enough, um, I am actually drinking a 1989 Wild Turkey CGF. <laughs> CGF, they call it, cheesy gold foil. Um, but I also have a little, another glass next to me that has some JJ Fister High Rye Bourbon in. So, so you are like, uh, you're excessively on brand right now for both things. <laughs> you know, I, I figured I'm I'm on the clock 24 hours a day, so I figured that I should, uh, you know keep up my end of the bargain. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and again, tell us, give us a little bit of your background and kind of what led you to your current role at JJ. Sure. Um, so I was a, a hospitality professional for about 15 years. Um, you know, I started uh, working in restaurants when I was 21. My first restaurant was a Chevy's in, uh, in Santa Rosa, California. I was a food runner. That was my first gig. Uh, and then just kind of slowly worked my way, uh, you know, through the kind of the ropes, I guess, you know, I was a server and a bartender and, uh, you know, worked my way into a couple of different bar manager roles and then did some consulting and opened a number of places in the Bay area. Um, I relocated to Portland, Oregon about, um, 
six years ago, I guess now. Um, opened a few places there, worked at some amazing places. I actually worked at Moulton Whiskey Library when I was in Portland, uh, when I first got into town. Met a lot of great people there. Um, and then, you know, as time went on and I got a little bit older and, and um, a little bit more tired, uh, you know, I kind of tried to tried to find a way out of that. And so about four years ago, I took my first sales sales job uh, with a small wine portfolio uh, in San Francisco. And then uh, actually next month will be three years with JJ Pfister, which is which is hard to believe. It's gone by very fast. So it's um, it's been a really it's been an interesting it's been an interesting ride to go from kind of, you know, working from, you know, 4 p.m. till 2 a.m. And then, uh, you know, my wife having to make me a cup of coffee tonight so that I stay up late enough to do this podcast. <laughs> yeah, you're old just like us. It's okay. I am yeah. I, I am usually fast asleep by 9.30. So. Well, we're going to try to wrap it up in the next six minutes then for you. So that way <laughs> we can get you out of here. I, I do have a question for you. So, you know, you have, sure. you have all this industry experience. Like, you've, you know, you've, you've built up bars. You've done these different things. Like, when when you were looking at this job with JJ Fister, like what was the thing that stood out to you? Kind of like, yes, I need to jump on board with this super tiny distillery, who is you know at the time was you know just making vodka and gin, and you know they're they're moving their way up because obviously everything takes time. But like, what what was appealing about that for you, and like what made you want to you know I guess take the risk on a small distillery? I mean, the biggest thing outside of the people and um, and even just like the facility and, and the brand and, and seeing what the potential was, was uh, was is missing the kind of creative aspect that fed me as as a as a bartender, as a bar manager, as a consultant. Um, there's always that kind of creative uh, foundation that leads me to you know whether it's writing a spirit list or a cocktail menu or a training module or you know, uh, a code of, of conduct. I mean, it's, it's anything like that. You know, I actually went to school for art and design. And, and so um, I'm a very creative person. My wife and I are both creative people. So when we do have kids, they're going to have to call someone else for help with their math homework. But um, <laughs> I, ne I needed something that I could help build and help create because that's kind of, um, that is what feeds me. You know, and, and in these three years, like you said, you know, when I first started, all we had was potato vodka. Um, which is, you know, it, it was tough and it was, it was, it was successful, but as we've grown these last few years and added more, more SKUs and added, you know, even more, um, age statements with these barrel picks we're doing now, it's, it's very fulfilling. It's very exciting. It's a ton of work, but it's also like, it is what like kind of drives you to continue to, uh, want to move forward and continue to try and work harder. It's, it's, it's that end result that, you know, is there. That's awesome. I love love hearing that. And obviously, as you know, a Sacramento area distillery, we're we're rooting for it to you know become bigger and better. And the things that they're always coming out with is is great. One one story that I always think of when it comes to JJ Fisher and, and Chris, you were with me. We were at the Sacramento Auto Museum, and you guys were um, pouring some of your Navy strength rum. Mm -hmm. And I remember trying it and both of us being taken back and, and we're like, who made this for you? Like we were blown away by, <laughs> by how good it was. We were just kind of like, like this came from Sacramento. What is going on right now? Um, but yeah, I think you guys are doing such a great job. And uh, like I said, we're really excited to have you on the show. Chris, hey, what, what are you drinking? Because we're drinking stuff too. You know, what's really funny about that is that I am drinking uh, the J.J. Fister Navy Strength Rum uh, second batch. Ooh. Uh, uh, I did that just for you, John, and for me. <laughs> um, but and I was going to tell that story of how we were both there, and we were both incredulous, uh, just refusing to accept that um, this little Sacramento distillery had actually made rum that was this good. <laughs> we're like, no, no, no. But like, who made it for you? They're like, no, no, we made it. Uh, but oh, okay, but like, where did you get the juice from? <laughs> like, no, and I always no, we got yeah. it. It's it came from came from molasses. <laughs> I always tell those guys too. I'm like, this isn't because I'm shocked that you made something so good. It's that I'm it's I know how hard it is to make, and so that's that's always why it's so impressive when when something comes out and you're like, man, that's really good. Oh yeah, I I totally agree. I mean, it's just it. I mean, and again, at that point. Uh, I think for the most part, we had only had, you know, the vodka and the gin. The brandy is also really good. 
that I, I'm in love with that pear brandy. I would yeah, I would have been drinking good. that tonight if uh, if I had some at home. I do not because <laughs> usually I just drink it at the store. And it doesn't well, it's available it at the it's available to purchase at the distillery from Thursday through Sunday from one to one. And you know what's really sad about that is I I still haven't been out to the distillery and you've come to see me a million plus times so I'm I'm a bad friend John. Well, he is the executive director of sales and you sell booze, so it's probably <laughs> that probably checks out more than you think it does. That's true. <laughs> uh, Drew, what are you drinking? Well, it, it, as long as we're doing this round robin of uh, you know just talking up other people's stuff, I'm actually drinking your rum cast pick from plantation rum the guiana 2008 that you did with empress tavern (laughs) yeah i um i i've said it a million times on on this podcast i love plantation i love the people behind it it's just they're constantly coming out with stuff that i thoroughly enjoy and you know somehow this got past me and you know who knows in what conversation I ignored between us that you told me that you were picking a plantation cask, but I was upset, you know, two months ago when this thing came out and I didn't know it was a thing, even though you probably did tell me. So, um, but it's, it's just great. You guys did such a phenomenal job with it. And what I really love about it is I've been using it to convert people to drinking rum and it's on like, like whiskey drinkers and it's work. It's like, it's batting a thousand right now. People are no like, shit. Rum, they're like, rum can taste like this. And I was like, first of all, I hate you. But yes, <laughs> yes, it can taste like this. Um, it's just, it's a really, really fun product. And, um, you, you know, and again, it's something that you and Jose, you know, you guys got together, you picked him out. This thing clocks in at, let's see, 47.6% uh, ABV. So it's, you know, it's up there. And then look at, we got nine and a half years in a bourbon cask of tropical aging, which I think is really important. And then um, a year and a half of continental aging in um, Ferran cask. Cause again, the, that's a, it's going to be a cognac cask. So it just, Demerara rum is always going to be one of my favorites. And uh, to see a couple buddies pull off something as impressive as this, like, I just love it. You guys did such a great job. So yeah, I well, make we're, sure I we're really that. bad about uh, telling people about it. So you should definitely do that for us. And since it sounds like you are, you just make sure that they come through and buy it from me so that way we're not sitting on it forever. Oh, I, I know I'm in for a couple more bottles, so but I will definitely tell other people because I, I have I've already I think I got this two weeks ago and um, I don't drink spirits fast because I have so many of them and this one's already more than halfway gone. So um, that will continue. But yeah, it's well, great. You guys did a great job. So that's what I'm saying. Hey, on. thanks. If I had a if I had a, uh, a a round of applause sound effect, I would play that right now. I think it's I think that's good, but um, I think it's now time to uh, for our opinion on facts that we've heard from reputable sources. So that's our news soundbite, John. What do you think? That's really like. Fantastic. I have a massive smile on my face. <laughs> Good. Good. Uh, so our first story that we're covering tonight, and this is this is the brand new one, so a lot of the information is still coming in, but Southern Glazer has bought out Epic uh, Distributorship, or I don't know what the, the full name of Epic is. Epic, wine, Epic wine and Spirits is what they're doing. I did know that. Thank you, John. Yes, yeah. it is. It's Epic Wine and Spirits. Um Bill Foley, who is the owner of Epic Wine and Spirits and of Foley Family Wines, uh, is looking at this as an opportunity to take his wines nationwide. A couple highlights from the portfolio are the like the Ferrari Carano um, wine, winery. I don't know if you guys have ever been there, but that facility is ridiculous. Uh, one of the coolest places to go wine tasting, and that's in Healdsburg. And um, this is just another example of Southern really ramping up their efforts to infiltrate fine dining and escalated spirits and everything that goes along with that. So um, again, this is, is a really, is, this is a brand is new story. Right? Is, is Southern afraid of not, uh, not having enough booze in enough places? Their book is pretty small these days. I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's really, really interesting to kind of hear that. I mean, and, and I guess maybe that's just some of the PR coming out right now, but yeah, I mean, obviously 
Southern is huge. One of the theories I heard was they had to have a response for um, RNDC buying Young's Market. And I'm like, did they? Did they have to have a response to that? Because I'm pretty sure they're already on like a monopoly. And, and again, like Southern Glazer for our listeners, like they are a distributor. They are the biggest one in the United States and it's not close. And when they went through their merger with Glazer, um, spirits a few years back i mean it just really blew them up where they have this coverage across the entire united states so you know epic wine and spirits on the other hand was this little small boutique distributor not not so epic uh i guess not anymore (laughs) um but really really cool wine portfolio and then they were really starting to build up their spirits they have a couple really fun ones in there but now um from what i've been told um, they will cease to exist by the first week of April. So it's just, it's really, really rapid. But when you hear something like this, I mean, Chris, what were some of your first thoughts? Oh man, you know, I, um, first I thought it was really interesting because I, I was really curious what was in the Epic book that, that Southern wanted, you know? Um, I mean, now they do have some really cool things. They have like Jardesca, um, which is uh, a fortified wine coming out of coming out of Napa. That's I, I really enjoy, um, and I, uh, we sell a, a pretty decent amount of it at the at the shop. Um, they also have uh, green um, oh crap uh, green bar, bar green bar, which is like all the barkeep bitters and uh, you know Iha tequila. Um, what else do they make, John? They they make a, a few other really cool things coming coming yeah, out. Yeah, I haven't LA. seen their book for a while. But I thought didn't they used to make the golden poppy thing? The they gold, did. Grand yeah, poppy I, liqueur. Yeah, I really, I really, really enjoy that. I actually have a bottle yeah. of that at home. That's a that's a really cool, really cool uh, amaro, like a California amaro. It's pretty pretty damn cool. Um, but you know, other than that, like I, you know. I couldn't really imagine too many things that were coming out of that. Now, now I know that Foley really likes his wines and his, um, that was always sort of like the, the focus of the book, but like from a spirits perspective, I couldn't really think of too much that they were, that Southern didn't already have a competitor for. Yeah. I mean, there's, I think there's no doubt that they had all the stuff already, which I, I just have to assume it's more of a wine play. John, what do you think? I mean, I have a couple of different, you know, kind of takes on it. I mean, my first thing that I thought of is just the brands that are in those portfolios. Like actually a pretty good friend of mine owns a very small distillery uh, in, let's just call it Northern California in the Epic book. And so my first thought is like, what happens to someone like that? Because now all of a sudden you're in a massive portfolio. And if you don't have feet on the street, uh, as far as, you know, as far as a supplier, you know, someone like me, for instance, um, the, you know, you're going to disappear. And that's, that can be very scary for a brand, especially for a brand that's already, you know, possibly dealing with a lot of struggles the way the world is in the last 12 months. Um, So that was kind of the first take. I mean, I've talked to a couple of people that I'm pretty close with that uh, with Southern that have been there for a long time. And I think kind of what happened is once fully bought Ferrari Carano that he kind of was telling from what I had heard was telling Southern like that he wanted to distribute it himself. And I think Southern kind of called his bluff and said, Hey, well, if you want to do that in California, you can do it nationwide. And I think immediately the, the conversations apparently started in regards to an acquisition, which, which kind of makes sense. Um, you know, the, the Foley wine portfolio, I think is really strong. There's some cool brands in there like Wilson and, um, and I know Banshee is in there. These are, you know, I lived in Sonoma County for a long time. So these are very big brands in that area, but, you know, I, I to me coming from, you know, being with RNDC, like we are now, it's like, you look at something like this and I'm like, what is what does that mean to me? Like I don't really know. Like, do they really need to buy more brands? Like, I guess I don't. I don't you know, it's it's just a very strange situation. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think for for us, I mean, because we're uh, you know I work for a small distributor, and it's it's partly intimidating because you're just kind of like you're like good lord like the rich get richer you know, and now they have like this really cool stuff. But then on the flip side, you're kind of like, well, they now they have this huge portfolio that I think they already have a hard time really keeping a grasp on and it just means that 
I'm going to stand out a little bit more, like having less of the smaller guy competitions is a good thing for me. So it's, it's definitely good in a lot of ways for a distributor like me. It's like, okay, that's, that's one less guy that was a little bit more of a distributor, a little bit more of competition, even though I think when it comes to spirits, like we tend to get along a lot better than let's say like beer guys, but you know, it, it's, it's still, it's still crazy to, to see. And then um, I know I got some feedback from some of my buyers who do a lot of business with Epic and were like, well, I guess I'm never getting that stuff again because I don't have the same relationship with Southern or, or whatever. Yeah. So I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see what, what happens like that. Chris, from your perspective, I mean, what are your thoughts? Like, what are, are do you have any concerns about it moving the portfolio or is it, or does it seem like a better thing for you now? No, I, I wouldn't say it's, I mean, you know, it might be a better thing because, um, in our, in our short time being open, I'll, I'll say just from a from a good bottle perspective, um, we had a, a pretty legit rep with Epic, and then Corona hit, he got furloughed, and we just got someone back, which was pretty exciting because I hadn't been able to order anything from from the portfolio for a while, um, and so literally just having someone come in and place an order with them last week um, for things that we had carried that I couldn't get replaced for a really long time. And now, you know, maybe I'll be able to always get those. Or maybe, like you said, maybe, maybe those will just go into the deep chasms of, of non-supported brands in the, in the Southern playbook. And well, you know, for, for the uninitiated, when we're talking about supported brands, we're talking about brands that offer uh, kickbacks to their sales um, that, that have some sort of, um, incentive program for their for their uh, sales team to to go out and push and to like stay focused on the brand at least for a month or two. Um, you know, I can't tell you the amount of times over the years in here in Sacramento that I've had to take you know my my sales reps from Southern by the hand and literally just go, "Hey, you have this. I would like to sample it." Or, "Hey, you have this." can I buy a few cases? And they're like, no, no, it's not ours, not ours. And I say, I, you know, I guarantee you that that's definitely one of yours. And, um, and, you know, lo and behold, yeah, you know, a great example of that would be Denizen Rum. Uh, Denizen Rum wasn't anywhere to be found in Sacramento for the longest time. And I had to, I found out about it, was super into it, uh, got a hold of our Southern rep and they just, they swore up and down that they didn't have it. And then two years later, it's in, you know, seven or eight different wells throughout Sacramento cocktail bars. Um, so you're welcome, world. <laughs> That's a big thing, I think, is, is the transition of a brand from one distributor to another, especially going from someone that's already small like Epic. And if you're a small brand in a small book, and all of a sudden you're, I mean, you're going to lose a significant number of accounts. You know, it, with, with us, I mean, the... 97% of the placements that we do is me and my team doing it. And RNDC is logistics, not to say that RNDC isn't a, a good partner for us, but you know, we're out there doing it ourselves. So if the reps aren't doing it and you don't have someone on your team doing it, then, you know, the equation is very easily solvable. Yeah. You know, my, it's, it's, a tough, other, it's a tough spot to be in for sure. My, my, my other concern is, you know, uh, how many, how many, distributors need to be absorbed into larger distributors. That was always something that, you know, you and I were always worried about this, you know, given 2020 and the pandemic and, and the sort of financial field that we were looking at moving forward, who was going to, who was going to survive and who was going to get eaten up. Um, I think, you know, losing a distributor, even though it's not, wasn't a, a giant, giant one or a hugely impactful one um, like Epic, I think, or at least within the Sacramento area, I don't know what they do elsewhere. Um, you know, it's a little bit of a bummer, you know, it's, it's kind of scary to, you know, from my perspective, it's scary because there's a little less representation, uh, and only, you know, a little turning slightly more into a monopolized field, which sucks. Yeah. And I think that's something that Southern's already facing is the monopoly accusations. So, you know, <laughs> to go ahead and buy another distributor, kind of like, we're not monopolizing. We'll take this one too. You know, it's like, 
it, it's it's definitely scary. I mean, and I I was talking with one of one of our mutual friends earlier today. Both of us work, you know, for for smaller distributors, and you know, there's a certain sense where you're kind of like, God, what does that mean for me? I mean, how quickly could that offer come into you know my higher ups, and they're kind of like, you know what, this is this is too good to pass up. You know, like I I think, and I and I wouldn't blame you know, my boss for it at all, like more power to him if he decides to do it. I think that's like the dream, right? And, um, and John, I know that we kind of briefly talked about that earlier. It's like when you guys are building up uh, JJ Fister, like, you know, there is a day where an offer might come, right? God willing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, but that is the goal. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's not like we, um, uh, you know, I always think back to like a, a behind the music of Metallica. I mean, we're going off base here, but when Metallica <laughs> first released, uh, I think it was the Load album, circa like 1996, and they said that all their fans were upset because that you know you sold out, you you're, you sell out, and Kirk Hammett says, "Yes, we do every night." And I always think back to that. It's like the reason that we're in this business is for it to be a successful business, and if someone came and gave us an opportunity to make it a more successful business, and uh, you know, and raise capital and, and, and increase volumes and honestly employ more people Then I think that we, um, you know, I think that we would be, we would be happy. I mean, I, you know, and there might be some people that think that that's a bad thing, but, you know, I personally, I, I'm here for it to be successful. And if, if someone came knocking on our door and gave us an opportunity to be, you know, a more successful company, then I think we would be foolish to not explore that. Okay, so we're going to stick in kind of the same area, but we're going to transition to another purchase that happened over the past two weeks. And that is that MGP, uh, the huge distillery out of Indiana that um, that we've talked about numerous times on, on the podcast, has bought out Luxo Brands for $475 million dollars. Um, Luxo is responsible for such brands as Ezra Brooks, Rebel Yell, uh, Davies County, Yellowstone. Um, They also have El Mayor Tequila. And then the product that we all love and have probably consumed too much of at one time, Everclear. Fuck Um, yeah. (laughs) This is obviously a huge, huge deal um, within our industry. Historically, MGP has just been the producer of a lot of whiskeys that we know and love across the nation, but didn't have brands themselves. So this is a step in, um, in a direction where they're going to take some well-known brands and continue to grow those and, uh, become a bigger giant. Uh, John, I believe that your guys's whiskey that you have right now is from MGP, right? That is correct. Yeah. The current releases are uh, you know, essentially a bridge to our own uh, organic BIB, bottle, bottle and bond, I should say, um, being ready, you know, in theory in the next 18 months. All right. And so when when you heard this news, I mean, do you think there's, because I mean, obviously, you know, you guys are moving towards your own, your own distillate and everything like that. But um, do you think there's going to be any concern from, from brands who were not producing their own stuff that maybe they won't be able to get what they want moving forward with MGP really kind of stepping into the brand side of it as well? I don't think so. I mean, I mean, I, there's a potential for that. I mean, I know that, um, you know, smoke wagon, for example, smoke wagon is a massive MGP brand right now. And there's a, and has been very much in the news lately, but you know, he's currently laying down. Uh, my brother's very good friends with, with Aaron from smoke wagon. Um, I think 400 barrels a month with MGP of Jesus. new make. So just for them. So, you know, there's plenty of opportunity for us. Like we just recently got in six barrels of seven year uh, for some barrel picks, you know, for, so for someone like us who, you know, when we buy a batch, we, we buy anywhere from 40 to a hundred barrels at a time. We're probably fine, you know, but someone like smooth ambler or someone like smoke wagon, I mean, maybe there's some concern on, on that end that are, they're buying thousands and thousands of barrels a year, but I, I don't see you know, I don't see that there's going to be a shortage. I mean, if there, if there is, then there is, but you know, I, I, I don't really have an answer that I think it's clear. Yeah. I don't even necessarily mean that it's like a shortage where it's kind of, you know, if MGP looks at it from a standpoint of, um, you know, if we have our own brands now and right. we have, we have like a, um, I guess, I guess a way into the market in a different way. It's just, 
I, I also think it's just absolutely fascinating to hear the differences between, you know, different brands using the same distillery, right? I mean, to kind of go like, oh, they're laid down 400 barrels a year to, you know, occasionally buying a batch of, of 40 barrels. Like, that's just, that's crazy how much range, you know, MGP really does have. Um, Chris, what what do you think uh, when you when you're when you heard the story and and everything that's that's happened since then? You know, I I'm I'm old enough to remember when MGP wasn't a an applauded brand. Um, yeah, wasn't that, that long ago? That was like four years ago, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when people you know lost their damn minds over MGP juice and LDI juice and you know cried foul and and um, you know. Whistlepig even got caught up in that for for a little bit because they were sourcing some from there and sourcing some from Alberta and they were blending in Vermont. Um, but they were, you know, even even Dave at that point in time wasn't wasn't telling people openly that 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 was the case. Um, so when I see news like this, all I see is sort of an effort for legitimizing themselves. You know, Luxco having having some pretty serious whiskeys that um and and you know brands that offer like you said you know multiple entries into the market um i i just see this as as them becoming even bigger sort of heavy hitters and uh, and making themselves be more valid within the market um to secure that so they don't you know they don't have to hide they don't have to sign nda agreements with people um and you know they can they could just go about their business and, and allow their name to actually ha- hold the value that it does today yeah it is kind of interesting that i mean it's a really interesting point that you guys brought up about how just a few years ago source whiskey was was a bad thing i mean and to the point chris if you think about our conversations that we've had on this podcast before anytime that we mention a source whiskey like we almost immediately go to validate it right that's true yeah where where we're kind of like you know it's a source whiskey but that's there's nothing wrong with that like source whiskeys are great and we immediately go into like this apology mode that (laughs) i don't think a lot of like people who are new to the business are aware of and i've never thought about it that way until you guys just mentioned that it's like oh yeah there was a time when source whiskey was a bad thing and you didn't want to talk about it so it's uh, this is a really interesting move for them to you know to continue to like I guess come out from the shadows. I don't know. Like, is well, you know, it's not just whiskey. You know, I mean, th- let's think of like mezcal culture, right? Um, or tequila, right? It, discussing discussing brands like um, uh, Del Maguey, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a sort of this snooty factor. Uh, of of people who turn their nose up and be like, oh well, they don't actually make it; they just they buy it from other people. Like, yeah, sure, but they're you know they're offering you know employment and well, not employment, they're you know jobs and uh, residuals from making a brand successful uh, along the way. And and I think you see it really everywhere. I mean, you see it in rum; people people get upset about it. You see it in whiskey; you see it, um, you know independent bottlings uh somehow have i think maybe just because they they're not obscuring the fact that they're buying their their barrels but um you know independent bottlings somehow have have escaped this this uh rancor but it's everywhere it's every every segment of of booze nerddom well and i think a big thing too is that you know there's a lot of craft distillers out there that make good stuff there's a lot of craft distillers out there that make products that are maybe not so great. MGP is someone that has done this for a really long time and they make excellent products. When we first started marrying barrels and making, you know, this first batch of the JJ Fister high rye bourbon, it's delicious. It's very drinkable. It's 39.99. It has a foothold in the marketplace. It's a bridge to our own organic spirits being made. And so I think that there's this weird connotation where it's like, oh, well, we make everything start to finish. And it's like, yeah, and it's not very good. You know, like that's, and I've heard people say that to me before, like that they may, oh, we make this stuff and, you know, we're, we're making, you know, uh, you know, something from like, you know, organic, you know, shoe leather. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being very <laughs> sarcastic, but it's like, I, I remember reading something from Jeff Morgenthaler years ago where he said that, you know, craft distillers sometimes, you know, 
they get too much attention because it's like someone like Jim Beam has been doing it for 200 years. Like there's a reason they've been doing it for so long and there's a reason why they're still successful. So I don't think that they're at this point now, maybe the consumers are, are more educated where it's like, yeah, well maybe someone makes this for them, but it's delicious and I want to buy it and I want to drink it. And, you know, I don't see a problem with that. I mean, I understand in certain, certain accounts in certain parts of the Bay area that I visit that they, kind of, you know, scoff at the fact that it's MGP. And then it's like, you look at their back bar and it's like, oh, and that's MGP and that's MGP and that's MGP. And, you know, and, and you can do that everywhere. It's, it's, I think it's hard to find someone who has, whether it's a spirit set or a cocktail menu, or that there's something that isn't sourced from somewhere. It's very difficult, I think. I mean, there was, a, there was a point in time where like High West, you know, even had to go on record and, and they were you know, one of one of the more transparent, you know, they they came out ahead of it and they were like, oh, yeah, no, we we source from everywhere. Um, you know, we we could stop, but then we'd have to fire almost everybody uh, who right. works for us. So which one do you want? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think, I think uh, it's a great point. And it's you know, there's there's times when you're bringing up Mezcal earlier, because um, I, I definitely went through the point where it's just like, it's like no, 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 I only want to. I only want to support uh, mezcal brands that are owned by the producer and, and everything like that. And then, you know, you just, you go and learn, like some guys have zero interest in running a brand, you know, sometimes people just want to make stuff and then, okay, cool. Now you go package it, you go sell it for me because I'm not a salesperson. Like I'm a distiller, like or I've been doing this for generations. Like I have no interest in, in doing those other things. So, um, so it sounds like we're all on board with sourced. Uh, spirits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, here. Source whiskey. Very good. Um, but this is gonna this is gonna lead us into a new segment that um, that Chris is very, very excited about, and and I don't understand it at all. We'll get more into it in a second. But um, Chris, why don't you hit us with that new that new sound drop? Market watch. So Chris, can you explain what the market watch is? That's right. Uh, so every week we're gonna we're gonna grab um, two or three um, publicly traded companies within the industry, and we'll just you know do a quick hit on on how they sit in the market and what's affecting them, just real fast. So for instance, today we're talking about Luxco and MGP. Part of the part of the deal with with that merger with MGP buy, or maybe not a merger, but uh, MGP buying out Luxco was that uh, in the cash sum that, that was allotted to the shareholders of Luxco was what amounted to about 5 million shares of MGP. What's really interesting about that is that ever since this story dropped and maybe even just before, MGP stock has been on the rise. They they've hit uh, as of the closing bell today, uh, sixty four ninety seven, and that's up from January twenty fifth when this when this story first broke from fifty three ninety. So that's eleven points, which makes it really interesting to watch the the market fluctuations of news like this. Now, it doesn't really mean anything as to as to what's happening in the real world, but what I would say is that. Um, Having faith in a company like, like Luxco over years that that has developed a strong portfolio and has sold out to a to a we'll say a larger company um, has has benefits. You know, sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes you you see uh, some brands will take a hit because the market loses faith in in whatever that brand is but in this case you can see that it's been it's been steadily rising and and i'll keep watching it what's really interesting though is that uh is that uh a uh sorry a Mont montverde and associates uh a legal firm has announced that they're investigating uh, their merger uh because they're concerned about the about the valuation of of luxco from mgp and saying mgp behaved potentially unfairly so we'll watch with this you know we'll see we'll see what what you know if this actually has any valid impact on the company um if this stock price starts to drop based on whatever montverde and associates finds or if this just keeps rising and people just people just uh have 
more and more faith in MGP. Similarly, we're following this week Brown Foreman. Brown Foreman has slipped 11 points after the new year, uh, with closing bell today being at $70.19, and that's a little bit of a rebound in the last week. Um, after after Brown Foreman announced that they had missed their sales goals just a little bit. So um, Brown Foreman being the parent company of uh, Jack Daniels and uh, Old Forester. So uh, watching these brands, you know, we'll come back to Brown Foreman maybe in a few weeks. We'll see how they do. And we'll definitely be watching MGP and seeing how they do. Um, but as we unfold our our um, news stories, I always like to see see what happens from a financial standpoint. So that's the that's the breakdown of the market watch, and uh, pretty exciting to to break this this bad boy out on our first episode. You know who's dope? Them over there. So I, I had some thoughts on, on your market watch before we oh. get into the Joe follows, but I, I had myself muted because I, um, I was trying not to have my confusion come through the mic uh, <laughs> during that whole time. Cause I've always, I've always looked at the, I, I had someone described the, the stock market as a happiness chart for rich people one time. And I was like, that sounds exactly like how I understand it. Um, so to kind of go back to the last segment before we get into our don't follows for all of us, poor people and people who might be in this industry that don't have this bunch of money. Do you have any suggestions on where people could invest? So that way, when they hear things like stuff going up and down, they'll be like, Oh, maybe I should look at that. Or instead of like me, who just kind of looks like deer in the headlights on that. Don't say GameStop. Just I, don't say GameStop. I was going to say GameStop. <laughs> I was, I was going to say GameStop. And we'll just keep pushing that bad boy up as high as we can go. Um, I I don't. I I would say talk to talk to a broker, um, and see see what is available to you in your in your income bracket and what what looks reasonable to you. I think I think what's important to understand though is that um, you know I I talk to a my now new broker uh who is the old general manager of shady lady and uh he's a he's a friend of mine i've known i've known carl for for many years since moving to sacramento and he's always been a stand-up guy and he moved into the financial uh field a few years ago after leaving uh his his post as um director of operations and uh, general manager for the shady lady group and um so I knew, you know, I didn't really know too many people in the financial field, but I know, I know Carl. So I called Carl and he's, you know, he's been a wealth of information for me, both in terms of what to do from, um, from a corporate standpoint for, for good bottle, but then also from a, a personal standpoint, he's been, he's been helping me out with a few things. I, I, my, I'm lucky enough, uh, that my grandparents left me, um, a little bit of, a little bit of stock, uh, that, you know, I couldn't touch when I was young, uh, which is wise. And, uh, so it's been something that at very least I've been light, lightly introduced to. So I have a, I have a loose understanding. I also studied a little bit of finance, uh, in my college years, just to have a, a small understanding as well. I, in no way would I say that I'm anywhere near, you know, uh, capable without, without help, but I would, I would, definitely suggest talking to a professional because they're going to have the most sobering and palatable news um, and advice for you rather than listening to a dimwit like me try to talk about it. Right. You're definitely reinforcing that right now. Um, <laughs> John, do, do you dabble at all in the stock market? And I don't know if that's like a kosher question or not. Cause I, um, I, you know, I do not. Um, you know, I, I, I was waiting for Chris to make some smart ass comment about me living in a gated community in Napa, but um, I was trying I to be nice, not... but since you brought it up, let the gate, let the gates fly. Let the gates it's a, con it's a condo. Okay. Go. It's a condo. Um, <laughs> in I Napa, don't, but you know, in, in Napa, uh, but it's you're Napa, very wealthy. Napa. You're <laughs> number, very wealthy. Yeah. You're 1%, 1%. I drive a 2016 Honda Accord. Um, no, I, I don't, you know, but financially, you know, I think that, you know, 
I, I wish that when I was working in restaurants and bars and everything for so long that I thought more about financial security as opposed to like, hey, I'm going to make 250 bucks today. I'm going to spend most of it tonight and then I'm going to make 250 bucks tomorrow. You know, like that was, it was, when people say paycheck to paycheck, when I hear people say that, and I'm like, no, people who work in that industry don't live paycheck to paycheck. They literally live day to day, you know, shift to shift. And it's like, so I wish that I had built more of a, a safety net at that point. I've been fortunate in the last few years to, to be more responsible and also do things like go home when I get off work and stay there. Um, and stay there, <laughs> but yeah, that's fair. You know, but even and, and so I can afford to drink wild turkey, cheesy gold foil. Um, but you know, when I think about the stock market and things like that, I definitely am very naive. But I I have started to pay more attention to things because I know that I'm you know older and have a wife and a family at some point, and you know it takes a lot of responsibility. And you know, old habits die hard. I guess that's that's the easiest way to explain it. Yeah. No, that's, uh, I totally get it. I mean, I feel completely out of my element. So I think, you know, Chris, maybe what we do is we reach out to Carl and, and maybe any of our listeners who might actually have some insight for us. Cause, um, you know, I want to indulge Chris. I want him to have a good time on this podcast, but you know, <laughs> I think it's, just, I think it's appropriate for us to also stay in our lane and actually offer things that are valuable to you. And, um, like he sent me it's and I have no shame in this. Like he sent me this article earlier talking about what these, this law firm was looking into i read it like six times i understood it zero times so (laughs) um i'm just feeling you know way out of it so you know for our listeners out there and then again we both know carl i've actually sat in on one of his things and uh, a lot of what i'm doing right now was advice given to me by him and so i look forward to the day where i can actually like give him some money to be like go make us more money but i'm not there yet um so but let's get it back on track and and let's talk about our don't follow so each week you know we will continue to to point you guys in the right direction of people who we think are doing cool stuff in the industry or just uh cool things in general this isn't really regulated to to just industry people but it's it's podcasts it's blogs it's instagram accounts facebook groups whatever the case may be we want to point you in in the direction of dope people to check out so john who's your don't follow this week um, you know, I have a couple, I would say I have one that's probably an Instagram and one that's a, uh, a podcast. Um, the Instagram follow, I would say, and that's probably more industry oriented is it's called the daily expo. And I don't know if either one of you follow them or not. Yes, um, yeah. no, the daily expo is almost, it's like the onion, but it's with service industry kind of connotation. Um, you know, and, and, and it'll have a very short, brief kind of breakdown of a story. But it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just very entertaining to me. I mean, I, I like to consider myself uh, an ex-hospitality professional. And I, I think a lot about, um, you know, how I ever took it seriously at times. Because sometimes I think it, people take it very seriously. But uh, the Daily Expo is, is one of my favorite Instagram accounts to follow. Like the most recent one, it says, uniform for new vegan restaurant is white overalls and bandana probably. Probably. Um, <laughs> probably. <laughs> it's so funny. I've shared multiple of it. It's such a great, it's yeah. such a great page. That's a great call. And then uh and and a new podcast that I've been listening to a lot lately, uh besides kind of the I listen to a lot of bourbon podcasts and bourbon secondary podcasts, um, is called The Rewatchables. I don't know if you guys are movie fans at all. Uh I do a lot of driving and so no, I need to uh What's that? Sorry. Is that the Bill Simmons one? I'm sorry. It's the Bill Simmons one. Yeah. And I didn't even know who Bill Simmons was until someone, my sister a couple months ago sent me um, an episode of about Fletch. Fletch with Chevy Chase is my favorite movie of all time. I've seen it probably 150 times. And so I listened to it and started listening to other episodes, you know, and I'm a child of the eighties. So I, I grew up watching a lot of, you know, uh, of watching a lot of movies on, on VHS tapes. So the rewatchables is probably my, my current listen to podcast it's uh so i haven't i haven't listened to that one yet but i'm a huge or was a very big bill simmons fan and back to his days when he was um writing just a a blog for boston sports and so it's it's very bizarre to kind of hear this little uh now he's created this entire empire right and he's been talking about this rewatchables and so i feel like the universe is telling me i need to watch i need to listen to the rewatchables because it definitely sounds right up my alley as well 
it's great too because it's a lot of it's movies like you know i just recently listened to like zodiac which you know my wife and i lived in vallejo for a couple of years and we watched zodiac probably 18 times when we lived there and be like that's right down the street from our house where those three people were killed um <laughs> a lot of there's a lot of murder podcasts in this house shout out to my beautiful wife megan uh we watch a lot of we watch a lot of murder shows it's really great uh, that's so funny. I feel like I'd be the opposite. I'd be like, guess what? We're never watching the Zodiac because it's right down oh, the street. So good, David. It's, David Fincher. That's fantastic. Movie. It's a, it's a great. I no, I totally agree. I've seen it one time, and but I tell you what, if I lived there, I would have watched it zero times because I'd have been. <laughs> that's just that's too real. Uh, Chris, who's your don't follow this week? Uh, I don't remember if I've used this one already, um, but I love it so much that I'm going to do it again anyway, if I have. Uh, it is uh, on Instagram, and it's Barry Fieri. Now, at Barry Fieri is a mashup between a very good friend of ours uh, by the name of Stephen Barry, uh, who... Uh, is an ex-bartender and and now a lowly salesman, just like John. And um, he is about half as talented as a salesman, um, but he's very good looking. So, you know, that makes up for it. But funny enough, he's uh, he's got an ex-co-worker who is my hero. Her name is Jane. She's an amazing chef. Hi, Jane. I love you. Um, and somewhere along the way, she decided that she was going to start uh, doing um face swaps with uh Stephen Barry and Guy Fieri and so she started this Barry Fieri uh Instagram with the entire purpose of getting Guy Fieri to follow and like the Barry Fieri feed. Um it's pretty amazing, I will say. She does her skill with the face swap has uh, grown exponentially over the last couple of years of doing this. She doesn't post all the time, but when she does, it's like she's been gone long enough and then it just pops up and slides into my feed and it just, it makes my week and it makes me very happy to see uh, uh, my friend's face on Guy Fieri's head. It's pretty great. <laughs> oh, God. I just started following that. I'm so, so happy. It's too while we're While we're it is pretty impressive i will say you know i know guy Fieri, and i'm not trying to uh rain on anyone's grade he is a very nice person he's done a lot of great things but i you know sometimes i almost feel bad for the the guy no pun intended uh because he gets you know gets such a bad rap he it's really does get a bad rap it's it's like, i you know i was i was there giving him a bad rap only a few years ago um uh just for sort of the the caricature that he had become um uh, and now that i understand more and i've seen all the good things that he's done he's won me over i'm a fan for life there was a um a johnny garlics right down the street from where i lived for many years in santa rosa we used to go there because it was actually pretty cheap and it was decent and um i knew i wouldn't run into anybody i knew there like when someone walks in and be like hey it's john from the bar i you know you try and hide from from regulars all the time and I actually told one of my friends after the first time we ate there, I think my quote was, I've never been so disappointed in being so satisfied. I don't. Oh, that's that's good. Yeah, I was just I was upset that I liked it so much. That's that's fine. <laughs> it's like it's like going to like a sushi burrito and be like, you know what? This shit pretty fu- good. This fucks. <laughs> <laughs> my God. I hate that I love this. It's like screwball. I hate that I love this. Oh, screwball. We, we can talk about that after we get off. That's uh, that's a good one. Drew, who are you following? Um, well, this week I'm going to do just a completely selfish plug. Uh, for the first time ever, the the like I said, or I think I mentioned earlier, the, the microphone is flipping and I'm getting interviewed. So follow uh mezcal underscore iando and um this is this is a guy named eduardo he's actually one of the owners of oaxaca mezcal and um he recently asked me to go on to this weekly show that he does about just the mezcal industry and he's had so many amazing people on it uh and one of my favorite things too is that they're often they're conducted in spanish uh and so at one point I did the ugly American thing. I was like, man, I just, 
I just really wish that I spoke more Spanish so that way I could understand these interviews and stuff. And he immediately came back and he's like, well, yeah, you need to learn it. Like, that's why you should come and listen to these. And I was like, yeah, fair enough. No, you're right. Uh, <laughs> I should definitely have more respect for your culture. You are correct. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but he does, he's, he's had like a lot of really, really amazing people on there. And then he's also a um, official ambassador for the uh, CRM, which is the regulatory bottle for our um, organization for, for Mezcal. And, and, you know, he's, he, he brings a lot of good things to the table. I always have lots of engaging discussion with him because, you know, we've been critical of the CRM on this podcast before, but he's always down to talk about it. And it's never, at least with me, I know not, maybe not the same case with other people, but with me, it's always been a situation where we walk away from it kind of being like, okay, cool. We have a better understanding of where this person's coming from on this issue and why they feel that way. And I just, you know, in a time where I don't feel like you see healthy debate ever, um, it's nice to to kind of have people like, okay, I know I can argue with that guy and still be friends with him at the end of it, which I really appreciate. So, uh, so again, that's mezcal underscore Eando. So E-A-N-D-O. And that's a uh, that's our dope that's my dope follow. And when when are you going to be on that? When is when is that scheduled to happen? Uh, it's happening Friday. Let me see what what time he put. We're recording it before, so that's why I don't know the official sure. time right off. So that way he can you know edit it and make me look like a real fool. What's editing? Uh, yeah, it's something we definitely. <laughs> don't do i'm impressed you guys do it live it's like that bill o'reilly will do it live it's very impressive thank you well, for uh, uh calling us bill o'reilly collectively yeah yeah that's gonna get me that's gonna get me kicked off this podcast isn't it that's pretty much gonna have the entire podcast play without your voice in it <laughs> yeah it's gonna be just like nothing but beeps the entire time um oh. So I'm so I'm looking I'm looking at his feed right now and it just says it says 17 hours MX so I don't even know what that means um, <laughs> but he's got a YouTube channel I'll eventually share it <laughs> um, I know it's like it, it usually comes out like Friday early afternoon is typically when I see him like actually release the video so I'm gonna say that I don't know what his time thing means so let's that is, that might be the start of a lot of things I don't understand. Um, moving forward so we'll we'll see but yeah check it out I'll, I'll share it on my facebook you'll see it perfect i um in true chris fashion forgot what my next uh my next sound cue was so welcome to season three everybody where we fixed all of the things that were wrong except that <laughs> You were so good. You were doing so good. Okay, yeah, dude, dude, pop, pop the champagne. This one's open. The Good Bottle Podcast is edited and produced by these two guys. The music is brought to us still by the Brothers Moore. Before we go and kill these bottles that we've been drinking, we ask that if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe. Please leave a review, no matter what you say. It doesn't really matter. You could just say chicken cluck, chicken cluck, and uh, it'll help our algorithm. And uh, leave us a five-star review. Uh, and you can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at The Good Bottle Podcast or on our personal accounts. Mine is dgarrison6. Chris's is Chris Sinflair. And uh, John, if people want to follow you or they want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, Instagram is J-O-N underscore L-I-L-L-E-Y. Very original and very well thought out. But it's to the point, and that's what we appreciate about it. And um, if you want to support the podcast and help us buy shares of things that we don't understand – please check out anchor.fm slash goodbottlepodcast. And if you would like for us to cover a story or if you were working on a brand that wants to be featured, please email us very much the same way that John Lilly did at thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail.com. And as a reminder, you can purchase these bottles that we drank at the Good Bottle Shop and also 
at the distillery if you want some of that um, pear brandy goodness. That good, um, good. That good, good. Uh, go ahead and check that that out as well. But uh, until next time. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you.